Today's word comes from three parts of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, chapter 19, verses 11 to 16, chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with his clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribe of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and it, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadem, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which his call is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and he, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot, or that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and save to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and dis discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and open the door. I'll come in to, to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. This is our final sermon on our Advent series. I know this series is called Advent 2020, but I regularly do this. Advent culminates in 2021, the next year. And Advent means uh, coming. Normally, we look to the first coming of our Savior. Oops. The first coming of our Savior, and we know that's, we're talking about the incarnation. We're talking about Christmas. But um, Advent isn't only about the first coming. It's about coming. It's about the second coming, too. And I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is, but it seems like a lot of churches don't often preach or teach this focus that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to return. The scriptures are explicitly clear about this. I mean, you can see from some of the, the couple of the passages that, Je, um, that were read about from Jesus today. And I want to address that. It's a, it's a pretty, 2020 was a crazy year. And um, it was a huge interruption from God, I would say. All the normal things that we are, are, are fixated on, the way we hustle and bustle and out there making money and uh, worried about the economy and then our entertainment and our vacations and our families to visit, um, basically the Lord put a big like stop to it or at least, at least slow down. And I think 2021 will be a really good year to think about the second coming of Jesus. Um, and so the second coming of Jesus, just, just to start this, it changes everything about the way you look at life. The way you look at your time. The way you look at your meaning of life. The way you expend your time. And if you are joining us today and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming. And you're going like, I don't really, not sure I believe in Jesus. And I don't even know if he ever was around the first time. Do, do I even care that he's coming again? Um, this is just some weird, you know, weird mythology that Christians believe. And you may already be thinking about turning off your video or not interested in this message. But I want to ask you to just, just hold on here. And I think it will, it will help you to consider how Christians look at w the world and life. And for those of you who are, you know, followers of Jesus, I want to ask you, to look at life Christianly. <laughs> to look at life through the promises of Christ, including and particularly today of, that he's coming back. Okay? It's a little bit of a mouthful to start. Let's get into it. Three parts. Part one. The significance of the second coming. We're talking about the second coming of Christ. The significance of the second coming. Part two. Life in the shadow of the perfect verdict. Life in the shadow of the perfect verdict. I don't know if you understand this, but that's how you and I are living your life. There is a perfect verdict that's coming when Jesus returns, and we are living in that shadow. 
And every day you should consider that a perfect verdict is going to be declared upon you. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. Life in the shadow of the perfect verdict. Part three, true riches from the Lord of Lords for the poor, blind, and naked. True riches from the Lord of Lords for the poor, blind, and naked, okay? So part one, um, let's look at, I know these, you know, it was a bit of a mouthful that our, our sister read. These are incredible passages. I, I, the, just to begin, I want to look at Revelation 1 and 19. These are just two places, there's numerous places in the Bible, where the second coming of Christ is taught. These are just two particular places, and I want to just highlight a couple things here. Um, we're living in the time between the first coming and the second coming. The Bible calls this the, the end days. Um, I think a lot of times when people think about the end days, they only think about, are we going to live and Jesus is going to come tomorrow? It's possible he can come tomorrow. Um, so far, the Bible has offered that, and then tomorrow hasn't been that day. And it's been 2,000 years. And so people tend to think, wow, you know, like, uh, I, I guess the Bible was just kind of like jerking us around or something. Um, but just, I want you to think about this from the perspective of God. You know, I, I, I don't know, the astrophysicists say that the world's been around billions of years, Earth's been around 5 billion years or 6 billion years. 2,000 years is not long. <laughs> it's a blip to God. And so when he says this is the last days, um, he's, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to wrap up history. And the culmination, the most important thing about history is that he'll send his son to complete history. And the first coming has occurred and the second coming is coming, right? And so let's, let's hear a little bit of what the scriptures say. So um, this is from Jesus. This is from verse 5, all right? Verse 5 of Revelation 1. Here's what it says. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Let's stop there for a moment. To, uh, he has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. If you believe in the gospel and you are a follower of Jesus, you already know this first part. Freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, I want to just start there. Um, I'm going to get into some portions. I I've entitled this message, The Glorious and Fearful Second Coming. There's a part about this teaching of the second coming of Jesus. It should make you nervous. It should make you, if you think about this seriously, it should make you nervous. If you have a test tomorrow, and after your test is done, it would decide whether you flunk college or whether you get a job. What if you had a test tomorrow, or you had a, you know, you were going to go meet your professor, or you're going to meet your boss, and your boss were to decide he's going to show up and say, okay, for the rest of your life, you'll fail or you will succeed. I mean, wouldn't you be nervous? You should be nervous. But I want to start with this. The one who will judge us is the one who has freed us from our sins. If you believe in Jesus, you shouldn't be nervous. Okay? And so the first thing, which is the second coming of Christ to all who know God through his son, Jesus Christ, it's a good thing. It's a good, good day. It's a really good day. No matter how much you've fallen, 
And no matter how much you've fallen short, no matter how bad of a Christian or human being you've been. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, it's not going to be a great day, just to be really honest with you. Okay? But if you believe in Jesus, I want to just start there. But here's this next part that many of you probably don't. And this is a clue. This is a really, really important part of how we are to live before the verdict comes. And here's what it says. He has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. Priests to his God and Father. It's really strange. If you, you're like, I'm an engineer, or I'm a college student, <laughs> or I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm not a priest. But if you are in Christ, you are a priest. You're part of his kingdom. He's the ultimate king. I know our, our city and our country doesn't recognize him as king, but we know he's our king. And he's appointed all who are his followers who have been redeemed by his blood to be priests. And here's what it means. A priest is the one who takes you to God. The one who intercedes for you for God. The priest is the one sent by God to say, go represent me to the people. That's what the priest is. The priest stands before the people and says, this is our God. Come, I invite you to come know him. And how will you get to know them? I will help you to know him. It's my calling to help you to know him. That isn't the job only of the pastors or of the elders or of priests. Do you know who all the priests are? It's all of us who are redeemed by Jesus. Will we live between the time in the last days of the first coming and the second coming? And will we represent God of his kingdom of Jesus to our neighbors? That's the first thing I want to say. And when I say represent, I don't mean getting all preachy or religion-y or, you know, churchy. I'm talking about in all that you do, how you work, how you drive. When you refrain from flipping your neighbors off when they're really, really bad drivers, okay? Uh, how you raise your children, how you pay your taxes, how you care for your neighbors, those who are rich and those who are poor, those who are rich and think they're rich, but really they're poor, as we're going to look at today. And those who are poor and they know they're poor. Will you be priests? Right. Um, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, um, this book that I shared you about, it was called Dominion. I, I, I preached on this book. I, you know, I, I gave you some portions of Dominion by Tom Holland. You know where he's getting from? Right here. Jesus came to say, I have dominion. I claim the earth. It's mine. You, will you and I, will we claim the earth and all of life and all of history, our neighbors, our wealth, our children, our culture, our music, our entertainment, our books, our songs for his dominion? This is what it means to be a priest. You could be a priest through your songs. You could be a priest through your engineering. You could be a priest of the way you are a boss at work. Let us be priests and proclaim dominion. And behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So let me just say a little something about this. Right now, you and I believe in Jesus. 
For those of us, who, you know, you're, you're a member of Revive Church or, you know, if you're joining us and you're considered yourself a follower of Jesus. And, you know, everybody else, we think we're, you know, if you don't believe, they think we're a little weird. Maybe they think we're a lot weird. Maybe they think we're stupid, actually, or worse. But one day, they won't have to think about it. You won't have to believe in Jesus with faith. It'll be obvious. And it's actually really scary. It says here, all the tribes of the earth wail, wail. It's not going to be a good day for them. <laughs> not going to be a good day. It'll be a really good day for you and for me, but not for them. Okay? Let's go to chapter 19. Um, I want to offer you the way this looks. And I'm already giving you a hint. That in Revelation 1, um, I don't know how many of you have ever read the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a weird book, okay? It's a mysterious and difficult book. Um, I actually don't think it's anywhere near as difficult as people think it is. If you ever want to read it, or, you know, let, you let me know. I'll offer a few, a few tips and it'll help you read the whole thing, okay? And the book actually has a promise that anyone who reads the book will be blessed. Okay, how about that for incentive? But um, I, I'm, I'm not, I won't, you know, I won't uh, soft pedal it. It's scary. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of um, judgment. There's a lot of death. Um, there's a lot of wrath. And here's how, here we go. So I, I said to you that if you believe in Jesus, that is, when he returns, that is the day you'll be vindicated. All your co-workers who think that you're stupid for believing in this stupid mythology, they won't think you're stupid on that day. And if you have a boss who's thinking about getting rid of you because they found out that you believe in this Jesus, you don't have to be nervous. You shouldn't be nervous because there's a boss greater than him. And you shouldn't be worried about what your boss thinks of you. You should be worried about what the king of kings thinks of you, okay? Really. And I know I say that with some laughter, but I'm being very, very serious. And that'll be a good day. You'll be vindicated on the day. But for so many other people, it will not be a good day. So here's how he puts it. This is just a picture of the way the Bible presents the second coming. So chapter 19, verse 11. I saw the heaven opened. There was a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. I'll just let you, you know, this is Jesus, okay? This is <laughs> Revelation's picture of the returning second coming of Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. <laughs> the first time he came, he came to be a servant. He came in humility. He came and was placed in a feeding trough. All the poorest were invited his parents were poor. He came to be crucified. He came to heal. He came to give mercy. But when he comes again, he's not coming for that. <laughs> it's not what he's coming for. He's coming to make war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. A diadem is like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's like the symbol of his authority, okay? And... He has a name written that no one knows but himself. I won't get into that. That's, I don't know, that's mysterious, okay? Verse 13, this is scary. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Can you see it? 
Just picture it. His clothes. They're bloody. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That echoes John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We know it's Jesus. This is Jesus, okay? Verse 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following on him with white horses. And here it is, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. So if you think very literalistically, you know, you're like, what? What? A sword's going to shoot out of his mouth and it's going to chop down the... Okay, it's obviously metaphor. I I don't think a sword's going to literally come out of his mouth. But what it's going to say is his words are going to have power. And the words that come out of his mouth will be to chop down nations. That's what it means. It'll bring war. It'll bring death. It'll bring condemnation and judgment. So if you're joining us here today, you're like, okay, when's this going to get better? <laughs> not, not yet, okay? And I, I know this is very un-American. This very American Christianity. We like happy, encouraging messages. And, I, and I'm, I don't know, if, if you, you know, listen to my preaching, you know that I'm not, I'm not afraid to tell you the things that are not so nice in the Bible. We need some better truth than just easy, nice. So this is, wow, this is it, okay? And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written, has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, there, there, there was a, a preacher, he's not as famous today, Mark Driscoll. You know what he said? <laughs> I remember listening to him preach out of this text. He said that Jesus has a tattoo. <laughs> Jesus is tatted. He's got a tent on his right, on his thigh, and it says, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And when I heard that, I started laughing my head off, and I said, well, I, I don't see a problem with that exegesis. That seems pretty real. It's like permanently etched into his thigh who he is. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to say something to you about this, okay? I have a, I was on a Zoom call. So, there's a brother in the Lord who um, knows, you know, knows me and a couple people out of our church. And I won't, you know, get into his whole story, but he was saved out of the church that planted us, okay? So he was saved during that period. And I asked him, would he support us? And his answer was like, of course. (laughs) But he was living in Europe these last couple years. And then he told me a very surprising story that he recently got pushed out of his company. And I asked him, why? And he says, I think it's because I talk about Jesus, (laughs) So he lives in Western Europe, even more secular there, probably even more anti-Christian there than here. And, um, you know, 2020 wasn't a great year for, you know, in his industry. And they took it, his manager found it as an excuse to push him out. 
Now, thankfully, there's like a protections in that country. He got a nice package. And he wasn't nervous. In fact, it was really strange. He was just basically told me he got unjustly pushed out of his company, but it was really joyful. He was like, oh, the Lord was good. I'm going to come back home. It was, it was really, it was, it was weird. Okay. <laughs> when he said that to me, but I'm just pointing this out to you. That's not a theory. It happened to him last month. And you all know that this is what it's like. But I want to ask you this question. You may be worried about your job. And you may be worried about what the king at work thinks. I want to ask you, his verdict on you is nothing compared to the one who's got the tattoo, okay? <laughs> who's got the sword coming out of his mouth. Do you want that sword? Or do you want his pleasure and his love? So go to work. In 2021, I want to ask you, if you belong to Revive Church, to 2021, I want Revive Church to be, to have this on our minds. That the King of Kings and Lord looms large over our life. Over, over this house. Over our economy. Over our jobs. Over our children. Over the schools. Over our friends. Whatever. Over your social media feeds. Who cares what other people think about you on social media? Who the heck cares? Are they the king? Are you afraid of what other people will say about you? We, we try to go do something for our neighbors and they criticize us because we didn't do it just like the way they want us to do it. We try to bless our neighbors and they're like, well, you didn't mask exactly right or you didn't social distance exactly right. And they, they're saying this like six months from now when, you know, one third of the country has a vaccine. <laughs> I, you know, I bet you money it's going to happen. But I want to ask you to say, who cares what they say? This year, live before your king. Care about what he's going to say about you. What he thinks about you. I want you to have this. I, I read this so that you can see the one who's going to step on people with the wine press. That's what a wine press is. It's like there's grapes and the one you step on the grapes to squish them. You know what the Bible's here saying? He's coming to squash with the fury of the wrath of God. That's what he's saying. I know that's really scary stuff, but I mean, come on. I've been preaching. We've been preaching about justice. And I told you in justice, there's a retributive justice and there's a restorative justice. And there's retribution for all of us who fail justice, which is all of us, of course. But if you have received the restorative justice by the grace of God through Jesus, there's no wine press of fury for you and me. But the one who comes back into the world of fake justice, false justice, who regularly, where the world regularly squishes like a wine press the fatherless, the widow, the outsider, and then hypocritically goes around and say, hey, we care about justice, while regularly stepping on the weak. Yeah, God, Jesus is not going to be too pleased with those people. 
But we could stand for real justice. We don't have to, all the arrows and the shots, live for this day. I want to say this to you. Don't be nervous. 2021, let's let Revive Church be a bold church. Unashamed. Because we see our king. Let me go to part two. I want to, I want to give you, um, do you know that I said life in the shadow of the perfect verdict. I want to start this way. Everybody lives for a verdict. Multiple verdicts. You know, at the end of the calendar year, uh, you have, you know, you have your work. What, what do they call them? The work reviews, right? And if you don't get a good review, you don't get a promotion. But you're like, okay, darn it. No extra money. But you also know that that could mean that if they cut people next year, you might be, that might be you. There are other verdicts. You know, you, you click, you click, um, you know, you see this pretty girl on the dating app and you click, I'm interested. <laughs> but she gets to ver- have a verdict on you. <laughs> so she sees your picture. I hope you put up a good picture because that's the way it works, right? And she puts a verdict on you. There's all kinds of verdicts. And then there's a verdict that you have on yourself. The verdict of you, you on you. The verdict of you on you. So maybe you're 30 something years old and um, you don't have two cars and a house and two beautiful children and a stud husband and a babe wife. And so you're, you're going, your verdict on you is not good. You don't say that out loud, of course. It's just that on holidays, you just drink a little too much. <laughs> or a lot too much. Um, I want to offer you something. You know, we're living between the comings. The last days, as the Bible says. All our neighbors, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they all live for verdicts. I want to offer you a verdict of, a, of a, someone famous. Um, not, you can see how, how he did it. So you ever heard of this guy named Steve Jobs? You've, you know, come on. If you've lived here in Silicon Valley and you don't know who Steve Jobs is, you must live in a hole. All right? You all know who Steve Jobs is. He's the founder of Apple. And he died a few years ago. He died of cancer. But while he was dying of cancer, you know what he was doing? He wanted verdict. You know whose verdict he wanted? It's really interesting. His children. (laughs) He already knows that in his industry, he's like the king of kings, okay? (laughs) When it comes to technology in the whole world, he shows up in China king of kings. Shows up in Korea. He's the king of kings. They will worship him. But you know what verdict he cared about? His children. So, um, I don't know if you've read his biography. It's written by a famous, well, he's not that famous, semi-famous journalist, 
Walter Isaacson, he's kind of, he was like, basically he, was, he used to be a top journalist. And so um, Steve Jobs, he knows he's dying. You know what he decided? I'm going to go to one of my colleagues, some guy I know who knows how to write, and I want him to write my biography. And why did he want it? So his kids could read the biography and know their father. That's what he wanted. That's why he did it. So he gave this guy access, and he let him know all kinds of stuff. It's the authorized biography. There's dirt in there. It's an honest biography. Now, maybe not. I'm sure there's worse things that didn't make it into the book. But it regularly paints him in a very unflattering light. I read the whole thing. And um, it's not a hard read. And I was thinking like, wow, your kids are going to read all this. <laughs> They're going to find that, that you're basically a big, you know, you know what. And people where you are a tyrant, people are afraid of you. You are a serious self-centered jerk. A super genius and a serious jerk all at the same time. And I want you to just think a little about this. On the one hand, he had this biography written because he wanted his kids to know him. You know whose verdict he wanted? He wanted their verdict. He did it for them. On the one hand, you can't help but kind of admire that. I wish someday some cool, great writer could write a book about me and I could put a bunch of stuff in there that my kids will get to know that they don't know. But I'll, let me say this something else. I also found it unbelievably pathetic. You know what it says about him? That he had to have a biography written by a, a professional journalist so that his kids could get to know him? You know what it says about him? It says him that he's a horrible father. That basically he knows, he knows, his verdict on himself, he knows he's a totally crap father. <laughs> that he was so not around for his kids because he was building his glory and his kingdom, becoming the king of kings of all technology, that his kids don't know him. That he's a stranger to his kids. And when he's dying, and his own verdict on himself, so this is verdict on himself, he has a verdict on himself. What this book is telling everybody is that his verdict on himself is that when all is said and done, I have all the achievements, I have the money, my verdict on myself is really there's something seriously missing and this is what makes me lacking and bad is I totally failed as a dad. <laughs> How about that? I hope his kids appreciate that book as a work of love from a failure of a father. Huh. Let me offer you something else. I want to give you a quote. There's a, there's a great essay written by C.S. Lewis where he talks about this issue. It's called The World's Last Night. He starts off this question, what if this is the world's last night? Do you know if there's a Christian? You should be thinking about that pretty regularly. What if this is the world's last night? Jesus could return tomorrow. It's really true. And so, 
I want to offer you, this is what he says. Someday, an absolutely correct verdict, he puts a capital V, an absolutely correct verdict, if you like, a perfect critique will be passed on each of us. It will be an infallible judgment. If it is favorable, we shall have no fear. If it is unfavorable, we'll have no hope that it is wrong. So that's kind of what we're like. We love the little judgments. And if someone says, hey, that guy's a jerk, you're like, what does that guy know? He's a jerk. <laughs> it's like, that guy's stupid. He thinks I'm stupid. He's stupid. Who cares? That's what we all would love to do. If someone puts an unfavorable judgment, a verdict on you and me, you know what we just do? We just weaponize it back. We just stick an unfavorable verdict on them and then we dismiss it. At least that's what we'd like to do. How are you going to do that with the Holy One? We shall not only believe, we shall know. It won't be any faith. You won't need any faith. We will know. <laughs> We will know, know beyond doubt in every fiber of our appalled or delighted being. That as the judge has said, so we are. Neither more nor less. If you've been pastored by me, you've heard me say this many times. Who you are before God is who you are. <laughs> Not more not less. If people in the world say you're less, you don't have to be rude about it, but you can ignore that. You can flick that comment away. If the people say you're more than you actually are, you would, we'd like hearing that. Oh, you're so great. You're so good looking. You're so smart. You're so, you know, you're, you know I love you. I, I want to be just like you. You know, you know, we just love words like this. We all crave words like this. But who you are before God, if that's not true, you should flick those words away. <laughs> who you are before God is who you are. Not more, not less. We should live like that every day. <laughs> we shall perhaps even realize that in some dim fashion, we could have known it all along. Deep down, you have some idea. Don't you? Don't you? If you're nervous about it, go home and drink the gospel a lot more. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I'm so bad. Jesus is not going to think much of me. Oh, Jesus, but, but, but you love me. That thing I said at the beginning, washed by the blood. All your failure has been washed by the blood. All your victories are in him and they'll last forever. We shall know, and there's the, here's, the, here's the last part, okay? And even if you're a Christian, you might not like this part, okay? We shall know and all creation shall know too. Our ancestors, our parents, our wives, or husbands are children. See, Steve Jobs didn't have to write the book. His kids are going to know. 
the unanswerable and by then self-evident truth about each of us will be known by all. <laughs> so, the verdict will be upon you. There's no privacy. There's no little checkbox, like, you know, on the iPhone or in your, like, you know, on your smart, smartphone that you can, like, opt out. Let me know by everybody. You should think about that day and how you live. You know, there, there's, there's times. I have this picture of, of uh, one of the pictures that I, I keep on my, my, on my computer, which comes up pretty regularly, is a, is a picture of my grandfather and my grandmother, whom I adore, when they were young. They were kind of like, they look like they're in their late 30s, and my grandmother is starting to get chunky. When she was younger, she was beautiful and not as, there was less of her, okay? And when she gets, started getting to middle age, she was diabetic, and so she had some weight issues and stuff like that. And there she is. But she was always gorgeous to me. And there they are, this younger version of my grandmother and my grandfather, staring at me from my computer. And there's a part that's not fun. I've thought about, sometimes I've used my computer to look at porn. And I'm going to have to face my grandma. And my grandma's going to be like, my precious grandson, what the heck were you doing? That was pretty much Loserville, wasn't it? But then she will laugh with the forgiveness of Jesus. But I don't want to live like that. Do you? When I get in front of my grandmother, who was a deeply godly woman with great joy, she was more sickly and she suffered so much in life. They, they experienced Japanese oppression. They watched their country torn apart. They fled their country for American freedom. They buried one of their daughters when she was in her 20s. They saw one of their daughters' life ripped apart through divorce. Oh, they know, pain. And my grandmother died too soon because she was sickly. All of it with Jesus. So I'm not even talking about Jesus. I'm talking about my grandma. Don't you have somebody in your life like that? On the perfect verdict day, don't you want to live a better life? 2021, I ask you to think about that. Now let's close. We need some encouraging words, okay? So this passage is going to talk about clothing. And I chose this one because I think this is the one that we in Silicon Valley need. Okay? So just, just quick, quick, uh, quickly, Revelation starts off with a letter to seven churches. They were real churches. But I think each of the seven churches symbolically represents the different kinds of churches. So what is the kind of church that I think is common to Silicon Valley? So each, you know, these are, they're in different cities. 
Each city has a different vibe and a culture. You guys all know this. So this is the church of the city of Laodicea. Okay? And so I want you to hear, to the church in the city of Silicon Valley. Because <laughs> Laodicea is us. We're Laodicea. We're, we're just like this. So I want to say this word to you to close. And I want you to think about this for 2021. So this is Jesus' word to this church of Silicon Valley. We're a church of Silicon Valley. And we need to hear this word. The tough part, because this is a verdict he might put upon us. We want a better verdict. Verse 15 of chapter 3. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. <laughs> Most of us, we prefer cold food or hot food. Do you like lukewarm food? I just love that lukewarm tea. <laughs> just love that lukewarm beer. <laughs> Don't you? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. Verse 17. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. A real gold. A pure gold. So that you may be rich. In white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve, a salve, you know, a medicine, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So here's the way I want to close. Brothers and sisters, this is the way, this is, this is our city. <laughs> so if you're not already saying, I am rich, I have prospered, and I don't need much, if you don't say that to yourself, we all want to say that to ourselves. That's what our city is all about. <laughs> I am rich and I've prospered and I don't need anything else. I don't, I'm not sure I need Jesus. I don't need to go to church. I'm not sure I need much. Uh, and so people who think like this, you know what we have? We have a lukewarm faith. We have lukewarm love. We have lukewarm obedience. We have lukewarm repentance. That's what we are. And then even if you don't have rich and prosperity, we, we're constantly thinking about that all the time, fixating on that all the time. It just pushes out the bigger things, the greater things. Okay, let's get to the good part. Verse 19. This is from Jesus. Buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich. You know how you buy it from Jesus? For free. <laughs> and wh white garments. We're going to show up one day and you could wear fine clothing. Do you want to be dressed for Silicon Valley? Do you want to be dressed for your job review in Silicon Valley? For your school review? If I get into X college, then that's like the, the garment I'm wearing. I'm wearing the garment of, you know, UC Berkeley. 
Is that the garment you want to wear? You want to wear the garments of the people who dress nicely because they live in the nice houses and thus we lived a happy and comfortable, prosperous life. I am rich and I'm prosperous and I don't need anything else. That's the spirit of our city. But do you want to wear a better garment? The king gives us a better garment. His garment is he came to obey and seek mercy and justice when we did not. He came specifically so that those who are crushed by the wine press of the wrath and of the oppression of today will be released. He came so that you who feel so pressured and fearful of the judgments of your king at work can be released and you could put on his clothing and his righteousness and his purposes. Let's put on his clothing, Revive Church. Let's live for real justice and truth and mercy and generosity and forgiveness. And when Jesus' ultimate verdict is upon us, not because we have earned it, but because he has already earned it. And not because we have to live in fear, but because we can live in freedom. Let us live boldly and gladly, faithfully and joyfully, and put on his garment and receive his riches. 2021. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Lord, we come to your table. You said that if we would invite you, you would come in and eat with us. May we eat your food. And may our lives as we offer them to you not be lukewarm. Let us not even be cold, but let us be hot for you. And you take great pleasure in our lives. Thank you that you have forgiven us all our failings. And thus we will not receive the great shame of all our failings. When you look at us, when our family and our friends and our neighbors look at us, or even our ancestors, they will laugh and say, that is, I was washed of all those failings. But look what you have done. Look at the way you lived. Look at the way you put on the great garment of the righteousness and justice of our king. You put on the great riches. That's the way you lived. And our ancestors and our friends and our neighbors will celebrate Jesus. You will celebrate. Let us live for that verdict. So as we go to your table today, give us conviction and faith to live before you, our king, in 2021. In Jesus' name.